to Moving Iron Podcast number 177. This, this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Wheel, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. It's also brought to you by Tractor Zoom, delivering insights and the official work boot in the Moving Iron Podcast is Dry Shod Boots. So this week I've got a, uh, got a couple guests on. don't normally have two guests on at the same time, so I'm going to have a, my ADD is going to come out for sure now. But uh, I've got Zach Johnson, the Minnesota Millennial Farmer on Twitter, and also got Mitch Hoare of Continuum Ag on here as well. So, guys, welcome to the show. Hey, Thanks for having us on. Great. They also host a little thing called Field, Field Work Podcast, so you might check that out too. So, guys, uh, this is our first time to actually meet each other, so I'm, this is a, it's an honor. Thanks for being on the show. And, and uh, why don't you just give me a little background about, about yourselves, what you do, and, and uh, talk about your podcast a little bit. Whoever wants to go first can. Uh, so I'm a fifth generation family farmer from West Central Minnesota. Um, as you mentioned, I am on Twitter, but I've also got a YouTube channel, Instagram, Facebook. I'm on just about everything except Snapchat and, and TikTok. I don't want to try to keep up with those. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I basically highlight what I do on our on our family farm and try to involve the guys a little bit and just show what really goes on on the farms. And through that. I got connected with Minnesota Public Radio and Mitchell, and uh, we've been doing the Fieldwork podcast now for two seasons. Uh, we're kind of in the middle of season two right now, uh, so there's a bunch more episodes of those coming out that we have previously recorded, but um, I think it just keeps getting better and better, and I know, you know, I'm up in the, uh, I'm not in the Red River Valley, but I'm, I'm pr- pretty close to it. We've got some really heavy, heavy clay soils up here. We do a lot of tillage, you know, we're growing pretty decent corn pretty far north in the corn belt. So uh, that tillage really helps our soil to dry out and get things moving faster in the spring. So to use cover crops and no-till up here is uh, is really, really rare. There's just not a lot of guys doing it. So for me, I know I've learned a lot through the podcast just by being a part of it and from, from knowing Mitchell and from t- taking all our guests in and talking to them about what they're doing and that's really the focus of the fieldwork podcast is to try to talk about what farmers are doing or can do what have been the you know the triumphs and the tribulations of trying to be more sustainable and and i'll let mitchell talk a little bit more on that he can let you guys know what he does and what his role is right on yeah no and i'm mitchell hora i'm a similar uh, situation to zach i'm seventh generation on our family farm down in southeast iowa um, around washington is where we're at um diversifying our farm quite a bit here actually that this year we'll have corn soybeans cereal rye barley and mustard um that we'll be harvesting on the farm this year so that's kind of fun um yeah a little different situation than than zach's operation that you know based on our geography and based on uh, the systems that we've adopted over really the last 40 years um we've been uh really focusing on building soil health and adopting the principles of soil health. And uh, so we've been no-till since mid-80s. Now this is our fifth year with cover crops and doing a lot of different experiments and trying to trying to uh, adopt more 
diverse cover cropping systems and diverse operations, just trying to figure out how do we, how do we continue to change our farming operation and utilize technology, utilize conservation and tell that story. And we use a lot of data along with it too. So as you mentioned, I started a company about five years ago um, called Continuum Ag. We do soil health data analytics. So I really like the message that we bring, you know, to the podcast too, on the, on the fieldwork podcast that sustainability is different to every farm. It's different on Zach's farm versus mine. Uh, versus everybody else's farm, even even people right across the fence line, it's all different. But to me, sustainability boils down to continuously moving in the right direction, continuously improving your environmental impact, continuously driving yield, of course, to feed more people, but focusing on profitability. That's what this all boils down to, that the farm cannot be sustainable if it's not economically sustainable. So that's really what this boils down to. And uh, it's been fun to have those conversations and utilize uh, some of our personal channels and stuff too, just to continue to drive conversation and try to have a little fun along the way too. Yeah. No, that's always, podcasts are a good time. I use mine just to kind of spitball and talk about what's going on in the industry so I can keep up on different trends I see develop and stuff like that. So uh, those podcasts are, uh, I learned as much from my podcast as, as I hope other people learn from it too. So but yeah, so Zach has <coughs> Zach has different types of fun on the two different podcasts that he's involved in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's for sure. So we've got the Fieldwork Podcast where we get down to business. We have fun there too, but we yeah. get down to yeah. business. And, and uh, then we do the Off the Husk Podcast, which we do right here in the basement. We did two last night, and uh, so I'm a little bit slower today after this. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, so coronavirus things going on we got all that that craziness going on but just like every other year there's a crop to plant and uh we're in that that season so how far are you guys away from uh getting planters rolling and and uh finishing up your field work uh well actually as it sits right now today as we're recording this this is saturday the what what do we got here the 18th 18th so I'm hoping to do some tillage tomorrow, and then Monday morning um, we got a planter coming out that we're gonna we're gonna hit it Monday I hope, uh, which is really really early for us. I mean if we get in the field by April 25th for us that's early. We really hope to be in by May 1st. So the fact that we're gonna be, you know, planting corn hopefully on the 20th with a decent forecast for us we will go. Yeah. Uh, and it it was still freezing last night, but um, our highs are above 50 now for the next week. <laughs> And guys down in Mitchell's area probably think we're crazy if we're planting when there's still frost in the ground. I'm telling you, I get chewed out for doing it every year, and every year it's our best corn. Um, we don't have to – I don't know. I don't know why. For some reason, it seems the cold shock deal just doesn't affect us that much right here. Yeah. Um, but I, I'll plant. We will plant. We'll put corn in the ground on Monday, and hopefully uh, it works out well. It has every other week. Oh, snow. Exactly. Sorry. I have snow, and I'm showing you on our video here, but there's snow on the ground outside of my you, window. You had just as much snow as we did the other day. I think we got five inches. Uh, would have been yesterday, so 17th. We had five, about five inches of snow here um, at, my, at my house. Up at the farm, about a half hour north here, they only had maybe three and a half, four inches. But, okay. And it's pretty much all melted off. I mean, yesterday it was 45 degrees, so. Yeah. It's pretty well all gone. Yeah, yeah. we had a uh, we had had one of those days where the snow came through, and we had we we're supposed to get depending on where the line fell, three to six or six to eight, and we've got 
it, it was more slush falling from the sky than it was anything else. So we got we got a lot of good moisture that we needed pretty pretty bad out here in the eastern Colorado and in Nebraska Panhandle frame. So guys out here are starting to get warmed up too. What are you seeing down your way? You guys getting <clears throat> Mitchell? You getting ready? You getting yeah. field work done and stuff like that? Yeah, we're going to be rocking and rolling, too. This is definitely right around normal time for us. You know, so April 15th is typically kind of go time. Um, the plan for us, okay, so April 18th, today is Saturday. Uh, tomorrow, we're looking at spraying off some cover crop. Mm -hmm. And on Monday, uh, actually drilling in that mustard into the cover All crop. Right on. So we already planted some, uh, some clover. Uh, about a month and a half ago, we planted some clover into our barley. So we frost seeded some clover a month and a half ago. We planted some oats just kind of as a, as a cover crop in some wet holes, uh, about two weeks, no, a week and a half ago. Now we planted some clover or some uh, oats. And now we're going to start with the mustard on Monday and we'll go straight into soybeans is what we're planning on doing first. And we'll drill soybeans directly into uh, cereal rye cover crop and not terminate the cover crop so we're we've got some moisture in the ground we're definitely not wet we're not dry um, there's some rain in the forecast uh lows to be in the mid to low 40s for the next week highs mid 60s upper 60s so that looks pretty good um but what we'll do is we'll keep that the beans and the rye growing together and plant some of the beans here first terminate the cover crop when things start to dry back out and uh, that cover crop's getting a little too aggressive, and we want to get that taken care of, and we'll use that to suppress weeds throughout the rest of the year, and then plant corn probably after this next wet spell that's supposed to be coming through here later in the week. So then we'll switch to corn, but yeah, kind of different. Typically, we'd always plant the corn first, but this year we'll we'll be focused on soybeans first. Right so planter technology has come a long ways in the last five years. Um, and planting practices too have come come a long way. It's just technology in general is, is really starting to kind of drive the equipment as much as the equipment is driving the technology. So, yes, did you guys take a look at what you're doing on your operations right now? How have how have your planting practices changed, and what on the technology on your planters themselves? How has that changed over the last couple of years? Uh, on our farm, we actually we ha we've had the same planter since 2013, I believe. So I think this will be our uh, eighth year on the same planter. Um, we haven't changed a whole lot, uh, but we do have. <clears throat> I'm, I'm fortunate enough. We've actually got a, a new John Deere planter coming out this afternoon that I'll be running a bunch this spring. It isn't a high speed exact emerge. It yeah. is. Uh, so I'm excited to see how that runs it's going to have the eye guide on the planter mm -hmm. um everything rtk so hopefully we can plant at 10 miles an hour i'm a little worried about some of our buried volkswagens we have but uh uh we'll see it's supposed to hold up right so we'll we'll get a test on it and it'll have the new 4600 monitor in it and, yeah. um i'm excited because that thing's going to have everything best of the best technology so we'll see how that does yeah yeah that technology something those things can plant they can go out and get after it it's crazy, you know, when, when I first heard about these 10-mile-an-hour planters, what, five, six years ago maybe yeah. when they started coming out, and, and I thought, well, how is that going to work? How can that be accurate, you know? But then when you look at it, it's such a simple design. I mean, you wonder, like, why didn't, why didn't that come out before? I mean, you can see why it'd be so accurate the way it works with the brushes in there and everything. It just, mm -hmm. I don't, I'm excited to see how that thing runs because I know the guys that have them really like them. Yeah. Yeah, they've come a long ways. The thing about those planters, it's not so much. They, that was the biggest selling thing when it came out in 15 was uh, 
I mean, you can go eight, ten miles an hour, and it's gonna you're just gonna get done so much faster. And then I think now it's probably about the third or fourth thing that that is the selling point of the. No, I guess it depends. If the year before was really super wet and you couldn't, you had certain windows to get in. That that ten mile an hour thing may have to help a selling tool. But if it's just a normal right. year, uh, it's the you know emergence and singulation and those kind of things that all start to fall in line that that really sell those planters. So it's it's a it's an interesting tool. We've got a a farmer we're going to work with. Uh, um, up here that's got a, uh, a circle he's going to let us plant next to in kind of in the middle of his field in the middle of all the circles he's got and we're going to be able to you know do our little dog and pony show out there and show how that works so looking forward to seeing how that that plays out with the new technologies out there Mitchell what do you got yeah. down your way man yeah we're we're running all the bells and whistles on our planter too but mm-hmm. just not not set up for all the high speed stuff we run a 12 row case planter and it's got all the precision planting bells and whistles on it yeah. with the Delta Force and, and the V-Drive V-Set. Um, the thing we added to it, so we've had that planter now, I think this will be our third season, maybe fourth, but I'm pretty sure third season on that one. Um, so pretty new, it, it works slick. Um, uh, we didn't mention before, we're we're significantly smaller operation than Zach's operation. We're farming about 800 acres. Um, so we don't have quite as much to get through um, as Zach, so that the size and the the scope of the planter that we got works pretty well for us. The thing we added last year was in-furrow starter fertilizer. Yep. We've been doing a lot of experiments with different biological additives and split applications of nutrients. So, so that was the new addition last year. Uh, the new addition this year is we actually just traded in our, our tractor. Uh, just got that last weekend. So we actually went from a case Magnum 290 to a Magnum 240 a little bit newer mm-hmm. it is used it's got about 600 hours on it but it's got the new transmission and everything a little bit newer electronics a little bit newer tech uh you know newer year um less hours on it but a little bit smaller tractor we're finding we don't we don't need that much horsepower mm-hmm. and we're interested in doing more interseeded cover crops and um split applications of fertility in the season uh to be able to side dress nutrients and and spread out those fertility applications so downsized uh, on the tractor which is kind of interesting uh that not a lot of farms are necessarily downsizing on their tractors so that was that was cool for us to uh to do that and and now have a new toy to right. play with and hope yep. everything goes right <clears throat> dad said i've got to get i've got to redo uh the fertility or i've got to redo all of our seeding recommendations he said uh that he couldn't figure out where they were at on the thumb drive he said he had three of them I'm like, I think you're just missing the fourth thumb drive. You're, you're not looking at the right one because those wrecks were there somewhere. But yeah, so I got to get that fixed here before we uh, get everything going with corn. So, so Mitchell, you had a red tractor, and you chose to get another one. <laughs> yeah, a little babyer one. <laughs> I know, that's pretty sweet. Oh no, Jack and I have a good time going back and forth on the red versus green tractors. Yeah. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty slick. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. There's a. That's one thing about this the whole virus deal. I was kind of worried about how how sales were gonna were gonna shape up. And actually, we had things have been. My joke I tell off the office all the time is if if I woke up from a coma today and and didn't go to Walmart or something like that, I wouldn't realize there's anything going on. You know, we've got we got plenty of people still coming in and getting parts and service, and and you know we're guys are still looking at machines and and those kind of things and and. You know, with all this stuff going on, kind of both of you, when you when you step back and kind of take a look at the plan you had to put in place before this 
uh, coronavirus came around, I mean, how's how's how have your plans changed, and and or are they going to change? And if they are changing, I mean, is it a is it a dramatic adjustment that you're going to make, or are you just kind of playing the wait and see game? On on our farm, I mean, like you said, you know, if you woke up from a coma and didn't know any better, you wouldn't really know there's that much going on. I mean, when mm-hmm. when we call, when we need parts and we got to go to the dealer to grab something, we call ahead, they leave them outside. That's about the biggest change there is right now. I mean, we got to get ready. We got to plant the crop. Things right. have to go on. Uh, you know, we try to stand six, eight feet apart when, when we got guys in the yard dropping off seed, fertilizer, chemical, whatever it might be, or machinery or whatever. But otherwise, I mean, we're moving along things as normal. As far as changing anything on our operation right now, I, mean, I, I think – it's still early. We don't know where this is all going to go or what the effect yep. effects ultimately are going to be. Um, you know, the packing plants shutting down on on uh, hogs is one big issue that I I think could have some pretty long term yeah. effects on on the grain farmers. Obviously, on the livestock farmers mm-hmm. too. But if we hurt our end users like livestock, you know, the hog, dairy, and in the ethanol industry, I mean, yeah. we're killing those guys right now. Um, we hurt our end users like that. That comes back on Mitchell and I, right? Because we, we got to get rid of the crop somewhere. So if right. you can't give it away, you can't give it away. So I think it's early right now. We're considering shuffling some acres. Um, for the first time in 25 years or 30 years, we're looking at potentially growing some wheat uh, instead of planting corn. Wheat. Wheat. So we wheat. Wheat like Mitchell's been doing. Um, we're, we're considering that. And it's so just shuffling some acres right now is – kind of all we can do you know we we gotta we gotta farm the ground we gotta yeah, do something absolutely yeah i don't know mitchell what are you seeing down there i'm looking at uh, my recent text update on price of corn and yeah if you woke up from, from a coma and you saw a corn is 322 like it is right now you'd be yeah. like what yep. but the only other thing the only other thing that if you woke up from a coma here in in brighton is that you'd go into the local watering hole, um, shout out to commanders, and all the locals wouldn't be sitting in there. That's about the only thing that's that's really would uh, would throw you off. You'd know something was wrong then for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. What, what's your basis down there right now, Mitchell? Oh, gosh. No, our, our local prices and stuff are still okay. We did have one of the Tyson plants right down the road that most of the hogs go to that shut down. So I think things are kind of adjusting from that. But there's there's so many pigs in this area that our prices stay fairly consistent. You know, so... So we haven't really been moving a whole lot right now. We moved some corn. Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago, but we're we're just kind of sitting still right now. But that's the whole thing on our like changing and doing this barley and mustard and rye and stuff. It's like might as well do something different and try and and see if we can find some prices and and some more stability there. And now with those crops, in order to do it, we're getting contracts and some guarantees locked in ahead of time. Is how we're able to make that work. Yeah. Okay, so we've got some. We've got some price guarantees and stuff well ahead of time, but um, only thing for me that's changed, I think the, the pricing stuff, like the market, it's definitely going to be hurt. A lot of guys in this area are raising hogs. Local Tyson plant is, is shut down. Hopefully they can get going again, um, but those markets are, are definitely hurting. Uh, the only other thing that's really impacted my stuff is I do a lot of test plots and trials, and I've got some product coming out of India that is stuck in India right now. I've got some product that's supposed to be coming out of out of Puerto Rico, and their plant was shut down, so I'm hoping we can get that back up and going. And I had some stuff coming out of California that was shut down for a little bit, but they were able to get their um, 
what is their essential license or whatever. So they were able to keep up and going. And uh, we got that product here when we needed it. But some of these uh, imports and moving stuff around, it's definitely impacted. Yeah. Yeah, we have, from knock on wood, we haven't had any real hiccups anywhere in, in our business. You know, we haven't had a parts issue or anything like that where we can't get stuff. So, I mean, for the most part, it's just kind of business as usual, just the part like we're doing now. So we, we've kind of spread out our offices out a little bit, our sales guys, and basically just essential store people are in are in the store. And, and uh, we've kind of spread everybody out a little bit <clears throat> to keep everybody in a, a little further away. Are utilizing Zoom and Teams and different stuff like that to to talk with people. I think it was kind of fun at first. Now it's kind of it's kind of getting old. So <laughs> we're we're waiting for stuff to get back to normal. I think it's going to be interesting as we as we climb out of this to see. I think some businesses are going to find some big time efficiencies in their oh, business. Absolutely. Yeah. They could have been doing business differently. You don't you don't need brick and mortar anymore. Yeah. You know, you, I don't have to walk into my dealership to get a part and end up standing there talking to somebody for a half an hour. Yep. You leave that outside for me, I can grab it and go on with business, mm-hmm. right? So I I don't mind it a bit, man. I think there's a lot of efficiencies happening. Yep. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that's going to come from all of this, man. Is Zach, that's just because you're so shy, you just don't want to talk to anybody. <laughs> that's the deal, yep. I'm a hermit. <laughs> Yeah, I think the the crazy thing about all this too is that there's just a, a national uh, homeschooling program now. So we've got that's that's the other thing. I, my kids, you know, I've got three kids. I got a middle school kid. He's uh, he'll be 14 this summer. I got a, a 11 year old daughter and a eight year old son. And and um, you know he's they're trying to teach him Chinese, which I find to be ironic. You know, he's they're trying to teach him Chinese on the on Zoom, and I'm like. <sighs> I don't know what to tell you, man. I can't help you with this. I don't. No comprende. <laughs> no habla. So, I mean, next thing you know, I mean, he's trying to do this, and he's teaching the symbols. You know what the symbols mean? I'm like, here's what, you know, say grandpa and grandma and everything else, and, you know, you need to go over and write this in Chinese. And I'm like, dude, I don't know you expect to teach someone that on Zoom, but I guess I got Rosetta Stone, so whatever. You know, we'll figure it out. But it's uh, those kind of things is uh, – uh, you know, I laugh at my wife. She's like, I would never homeschool our kids, you know, and I poked fun at her the other day. I was like, hell, look at this. <laughs> You're homeschooling the kids. So it's uh, it, it's uh, all kinds of stuff they're doing, man. It's just uh, the hangouts and stuff that they have to do now with their friends and those kind of things. So I'm, with, I'm not like what you guys are saying. There's going to be a, uh, a lot of stuff that comes out of this that's going to be totally different than what you had expected um, even a year ago. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yep. All right. So, farm data. When you guys are looking at that stuff, the information that you can gather from that. Do you use um, Zach? Do you use on your uh, on your deer tractor? Do you use the the uh, the JD Link information to really kind of step back and real like? Am I utilizing this tractor the way I should be, or am I you know do I need it like like Mitchell did? You know, going down to a smaller size. Do you look at that kind of data and, and use that on your farm? We, you know, we so. We use my John Deere mm-hmm. uh, to keep the planting and the and the harvest records. Um, we also use FieldView, right. and then we can use either one of those to transfer onto our FBN account. We use more data over there really than anywhere else. Um, I like FieldView a lot because it's right there in the cab with you when you're running, as long as you got the Bluetooth puck, you know, plugged into the CAN bus system. So it's right there with you. 
I like field view a lot when it works. I have had some issues with it, but I mean, ultimately I, I love having it. Um, but as far as the, uh, the JD link, you know, we, we actually don't pay for that on, on our tractors. Now we've used it some with, uh, the, some of the demos that they've had out to us, Yeah. but on our tractors, we, we don't use that, I guess, but we also only have, you know, three main tractors and we've only got two full-time guys, me and dad. So, All right. You know, I always kind of wondered who's using JD Link to see where these tractors are. I mean, how do you not know where your tractor is, right? <laughs> What's going on? Like, I know Dad is out digging a field somewhere. I, I, right. I know where my tractors are. But when I toured around this winter some and I went down to South Florida, there was a, a lettuce company there I was working with. And they've got about 200 tractors and 700 employees. Now, I was asking him about it. He said JD Link is an absolute lifesaver for them. Right. They've actually lost tractors. Like, they don't know where, where it went. Well, somebody quit on them and parked the tractor somewhere. They got to find that thing. So they can use JD Link to see where this thing is parked. Maybe it's been there for two weeks, you know, yeah. and they didn't know where this dang thing was. Yeah. That's where it really makes sense. Mm -hmm. What what made you decide to get a smaller tractor from the, from the higher horsepower one? Basically, our tractor right now, all it does is we're planting – in the spring mm -hmm. it's pulling a grain cart in the fall and it's planting cover crop in the fall that's it not a whole lot of horsepower needed and the the planter is 12 rows across the drill is 20 foot across mm -hmm. uh grain carts not that overly big just don't really need it need and um yeah. you know trade in we don't need all the horsepower we don't need to um you know utilize utilize the smaller tractor with better technology and some of the efficiencies in terms of fuel usage and such that that can bring trade in uh, the horsepower for better technology and we just didn't need it but also part of it giving us a little bit better options like i said to intercede and drive into standing corn that's something we really haven't done mm -hmm. um so so looking at being able to do some of that but um trying to it, it wasn't necessarily like an overall data decision you know looking at right. like actual horsepower numbers and stuff you know like you were getting out there with zach it was just evaluating overall like hey we don't necessarily have to have this we really only, we only have that one tractor um on the farm besides the old uh 1980 5088 that's still laying around that mm -hmm. that pretty much all that tractor does is is uh plow snow and mow mow waterways and ditches that's about all they uh about all the old gal gets to do anymore um sit there and collect rust other than that but um no looking at for the most part data stuff we're looking at we're we're bringing in um data through field view uh part of it's going through field view um you know looking at some in-season imagery collecting some of the data that way but a lot of it then we're plugging into sms and running evaluations on that um been collecting yield data for a long time so able to look at some of those trends and we do a lot of trials like i mentioned and so evaluating uh, return on investment, evaluating um, profitability per acre, um, yield being one of the drivers of that, but trying to evaluate, you know, what are these differences that we're seeing, what's the data saying, and continue to drive um, adoption of some of these new products and new practices and stuff that we've been messing with. So mm -hmm. doing a lot of the data that way, and then, of course, we do a lot of soil data, tissue data, imagery, um, but I, we built our own software to handle that data. So, oh, right um, going things a little bit different route when it comes to some of those other agronomic insights. Right on. So this is the this is the question I like to ask guys when they're when they're looking when they're looking at their operation. So when you look at your trade cycle, is there a is there a trigger 
in your trade cycle when you say, yep, okay, I'm, I'm doing this every so often or get a certain number of hours or what it is, what is it that, that when you were looking at what you have going on at the farm, when you decide to get that new planter, a new tractor, a new drill or whatever it is? We don't have that on our operation. I mean, we, we kind of go with uh, what, what's the, we watch auctions a lot and try to see what's, uh, what's the deal out there right now, right? Mm-hmm. You, you can kind of tell what guys are buying and what they're not. And then we, we kind of cross that with what do we need to upgrade? And, and not that we, you know, we, we have, our machinery line is good for the acres we run. We don't, we don't have much for weak points in our machinery, but we don't want to cannibalize our machinery. I mean, we want to, we want to maintain the integrity of the equipment line, right. And keep it moving forward as we go. So, um, we just kind of follow that. And, and after four five, six years of having a, a piece, we'll, we'll start considering, okay, it's, it's time to upgrade just so we, we maintain that integrity of the line. And then we watch the auction prices and, and try to figure out, um, which piece we're going to do, I guess is we, we really don't have a, a trigger like you say. Yeah. Mitchell, what do you, what do yeah, you same, No, same type of deal for us. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, it's, it's really, yeah, it's, we're trading in stuff every couple of years. Um, especially the planter uh the tractor and the combine mm-hmm. have really been the thing you know to trade some of the other pieces of equipment they they stay on the farm for a long time trucks and right. and uh stuff like that but really i think it's it's keeping a relationship with the dealer and keeping them in the loop they understand the type of equipment they that we run the size of equipment that we run um and the type of data and stuff that we like to have in that type of tech we want in that so I think it's just keeping in touch with them, understanding when deals are going to be there to uh, mostly trading stuff in. Um, yeah, we do some different things at auctions, but a lot of it's just trading back and forth with, mm-hmm. uh, with the dealer and keeping in touch with them on what's the deal, uh, making sure that we keep trade-in value high on the equipment that we do have and, and uh, just then do piece-by-piece upgrades from there like we did on the planter. So definitely not a great like set system to be able to do that. Um, I'm more so looking at trying to figure out a set trade-in system for vehicles, personal oh, and yeah. farm vehicles. Yep. That's I'm I'm actually working on some of that with my financial advisor on what do I do there because I'm I'm driving like seventy thousand miles a year. Yeah. Between truck and and bought a vehicle for my wife and so it's like how do I how do I work that trade-in system? Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I am trying to get some real metrics and some numbers on looking at tires, looking at oil changes, looking at the, the guarantee programs that these um, vehicle manufacturers have up front, utilize that as much as we can, keep those trade-in values high, and just crank through vehicles more so that way. Yeah. yeah. That's trade-in, some... trade-in value is a big one. Trying to, you know, yep. that, that has a big effect on what we choose to purchase or trade mm-hmm. up for is, What's it going to be worth when we're done with it? Yep. You know, that's a big metric to watch. Yep. Are you sitting with, when you guys have those conversations with your dealership, are you, because I like to do that with my guys where you sit back and do like a three-year projection or something like that of, you know, obviously there's all million different things that can happen in three years, but given that rough idea of kind of, you know, here's, you know, two or three different three-year slots of, of what that looks like and kind of what those machines did in those three different time frames and what the year-over-year kind of depreciation, you know, I use auction data like it's like crack cocaine, man. I can't I can't get enough of it when because it's there's so much there's so much stuff there that you can get always called the canary in the coal mine. You know, it's whatever whatever's happening in the marketplace, you're going to be able to see it in the auction market real fast. 
and you can yeah. yeah you could ignore it as long as you want to but it's sooner or later it's gonna it's gonna fall over on you but the auction data to me is the most important part of that so are your dealerships do you guys sit down and do that or do you guys kind of take a look at at your operations and say you know in three years we think it should be this based on what we've seen over the last four or five years or something like that yeah, I think it's it's a mixture of what you're getting out there, that it's somewhat of a general idea, general projection, you know, that like this tractor that we just got, the combine that we got a couple of years ago, um, it was, it's got 600-ish hours on it, and, you know, we're running it for a couple of seasons, trading it back in, you know, so it might have a season or two on it, we're going to run it for a couple of seasons, trade it back in, so we got a pretty good idea of what that would look like, and uh, able to get that penciled out, Um so I don't know. I think I think it's a mixture of that, you know, working just directly with the implement dealer too. And I think a p- part of that is just by understanding who you're going to be working with and trading things in with, that they know that you're taking good care of the equipment too. Mm-hmm. They know that okay, yeah, now it's got 2,500 hours on it, but it's been taken really good care of as well. Right. So that also then kind of enhances that ability to negotiate, have those conversations, and get get good training value yeah i think that makes a big difference yeah if you take care of your equipment it'll take better care of you right and and the people around the neighbors the dealer whoever they'll they know i mean i know who takes care of their equipment and who doesn't around me mm-hmm. i know a piece who, on what's that well i would say i'm thinking a piece on that too is like the relationship side of agriculture i think with your de- implement dealer that's probably one of the most important ones yeah. That yeah, you got something with the with the fertilizer guy and the seed guy, and you have a couple people that you use there. But for your implement stuff, you're probably only really working with one or two people, and that's about it. Where seed or fertilizer, you might be working with a half a dozen different people on that. Right. Right. And that's really just looking at pricing. Where with implement, it's not only a pricing decision there. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. That's right. Yeah, they have. Uh, that's that's why I mean it. it maximizing the the tools that you guys are using on the farm uh, from a dealership perspective is probably my most important thing that I'm trying to get across to folks is that you know like like the ask you about that JD link thing on purpose but it was it was one of those things where you know knowing what your machine's doing and how much horsepower you're actually using or, or another thing too especially like with the sprayer is a great example of that idle time you know you talk about talk about depreciation you talk about um you know, resale value and those kind of things. If you look at your tractors that you've got out there when you're using them and how much idle time you actually have, you, you probably want to puke a little bit after you realize how much money you just kind of let idle out in the field. No pun intended there, but it's one of those things. But it's just, <clears throat> it's absolutely one of the biggest things out there. I've seen, I've seen sprayers that have forty uh, percent of the time they're actually working, and the other sixty percent of the time they're either getting roaded or, or they're um, they're idling and. So if you have a thousand hours, you really only use it four hundred hours, but that meter says six hundred or it says a thousand, you know, so <clears throat> what's that do to trade the value and stuff? Me, the one that gets me is when you look at the combine hours and you look at the engine hours versus a separator. Mm-hmm. That's the one that gets me like, oh man, I just the road time kills you. Yeah. It does, yeah. So but, I hadn't even thought about the sprayer. Yeah. Like our sprayer, we've our sprayer is old. It is a it's a nineteen ninety haggy. And uh, that sucker, I, it's going to keep getting ran hard, put away wet for a long time, mm-hmm. and uh, just keep welding it back together. And and she does great, does what we need, and goes over a lot of acres every year. Yeah. And that baby just keeps on chugging. Yep. So 
dad loves the sprayer. He is not afraid to get that get that sprayer out, and he can he can cruise and get a bunch of stuff done, and really feel like you're getting something accomplished in the day. But yeah, that that sprayer hasn't uh, we haven't tra- we haven't moved anything there for a while. Yeah. Sprayers are uh, anymore. They're about as as much technology on them as about anything else does. They're like a a lunar rover almost when you start looking at at uh, the technology on that stuff. It's crazy, absolutely crazy. Well, fellas, it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate you guys being on the podcast. If uh, Zach and folks want to reach out to you and and you know get your social media stuff or just reach out to you or whatever, what's the best way to do that? Um, YouTube is the first place you can go. You can find me there at Millennial Farmer. Millennials tough to spell. There's two L's, two N's. Uh, you you might have to Google it. If you Google Millennial Farmer, you'll figure out where to find me. But uh, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook in that order are the best places to go. Right on, man. And and on the Fieldwork Podcast. Absolutely. And then Mitchell, where can people find you at? Yeah, no, definitely uh, encourage everyone to check out the Fieldwork Podcast uh, for more more of me and Zach sitting around and dorking off and talking about farming. We don't typically get into this topic though, so this was kind of fun to to shift a little bit. We don't typically get into equipment that too much, so this has been fun. But all my stuff, um, kind of just going through rebranding right now. Actually, everything is at Continuum Ag or at Continuum underscore Ag now. So uh, you can find us all over, except for on TikTok because Zach won't let me get on TikTok yet. So. Right on, and then. Field works on all the all the podcast channels, right? YouTube or uh, yep. Apple and yep. all that. Yeah, right on. Yeah, at Fieldwork Talk on all that. At Fieldwork Talk, right on, guys. Yep. Well, boy, it's been a lot of fun, man. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you, Casey. All right on. So I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Also check out movingironllc.com for all the latest blog posts and what have you that are coming out. I got one actually I'm going to put out today. So um, if you want to know what it means to uh, have centralized um, evaluation process, by all means, read it because it's going to blow your mind. And then also check out uh, Global Ag Network and all the great podcasters out there as well. So for Zach and Mitchell, I'm Casey Seymour. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hard work.